Hello, welcome to Postcolonial Space. I'm Masood Raja. And today I would briefly like to offer sort of a reasoned account of my stand on the recent takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban. Now, if you have noticed, I have posted about three videos so far related to the plight of Afghan people in Afghanistan after the fall of Afghanistan to Taliban. But most of those videos obviously are laden with, you know, my emotional investment in this topic. And maybe I did use some reasoned account of my views about the subject, but I think my passion kind of comes out in that because I feel strongly and passionately for the people of Afghanistan. But today I would like to sort of offer an analysis about what's happening in Afghanistan in terms of the interests and rights of Afghan people first and foremost, then the Pakistani interest in Afghanistan and how this debacle is being received and talked about in Pakistani circles. The Indian interest in Afghanistan and how it is being represented. And then, of course, the United States interest in Afghanistan. These are the three large constituencies who, in one way or the other, have a stake in Afghanistan. But to me, the most important constituency, of course, is the people of Afghanistan. So let's go by the facts first. So the most important fact over the last few weeks is that Taliban, in their own vocabulary, have conquered Afghanistan. The president, Ashraf Ghani, fled the country. Pretty much all provinces of Afghanistan, other than the Panjshir Valley, are under the control of Taliban. As I record this video, the last U.S. soldier has left Afghanistan. So Afghanistan is currently absolutely under the control of Taliban. Now, quite a few people are now trying to rationalize this by saying, okay, they have reformed, let's accept them. But here is the deal. If United States, Pakistan, or India, or anyone else accepts the Taliban regime, what is it exactly that they are accepting? that the constitution that was written and developed in the last 20 years is no longer valid, that any group with enough guns and forces at their disposal can conquer an entire country and consider themselves to be the legitimate government of that country. That's the precedence that we are setting in the region. Now, this success of Taliban is being reported and discussed in certain interesting ways in Pakistan. So first of all, there is a sort of triumphalism in Pakistani media as well as in the private discussion groups because these are the people who feel vindicated about their policy in Afghanistan. And that policy was to isolate the elected government and keep providing tacit support to anyone who is in opposition to it, and that happens to be the Taliban. And that kind of triumphalism is tragic because what they are not taking into account is that by siding with Taliban, 
they are siding with a brutal regime which is known to have brutalized their own people previously and who are likely to do that again. So from the people of Afghanistan's point of view, then you become an enabler as a nation of the brutalities that the Taliban have committed previously and will commit. You cannot detach yourself from that responsibility. Part of the reason Pakistanis are so uh, happy about this situation is because they see that India had a lot of influence with the previous government. And they also argue that India was using the Afghan land to mobilize its proxies against Pakistan. I have no personal knowledge of that, but that could have been the case. So part of the triumphalism and happiness is coming from having thwarted whatever India's plans were in the region. Now, both India and Pakistan claim a certain degree of uh, respect about their involvement in Afghanistan. Now, India's involvement was mostly economical. They spent about $3 billion on different mega projects and small projects. Pakistan's investment, as reported by their embassy in Kabul, was about $500 million. But mostly Pakistan's investment has been in receiving and accepting large numbers of Afghan refugees for the last 40 years, and it is undeniable. But here is the thing that we must keep in mind when we compare Pakistan's claims on Afghanistan and India's claims on Afghan sympathy or friendship. Pakistan's claims are based in having provided sanctuary to the Afghans. India's claims are based in having developed infrastructure, buildings, dams in Afghanistan. Right? But in the process of doing so, Pakistan works through what? Who are the people that they uh, are right now siding with the Taliban? which is the most anti-democratic force in the region, which is the most brutal force in Afghanistan. There is no doubt about that, that these are facts of history. India, no matter what their nefarious interests might be through Afghanistan against Pakistan, they aligned themselves with a democratically elected government. They developed programs that built infrastructure. They invited thousands upon thousands of Afghani university students to come and study in their country. Now, 30 years from now, when Afghans have somehow miraculously established an autonomous democratic nation, and when they look back at the history, think of it, how would they view it? Who was on the side of democracy? That would be India, right? Who was on the side of the Taliban who conquered their own country and tortured and brutalized their own people? Pakistan. So if you are a Pakistani analyst or strategist, I mean, be my guest, teach me as to how that serves the long term regional interest of Pakistan? How does it endear Pakistan to Afghan people? I mean, other than the people who might be in sympathy with Taliban, right? So these are some of the ramifications from my point of view, symbolically speaking, and their material impact for India and Pakistan. 
Now, there are quite a few other things that are being claimed. One of set of claims coming from Pakistani circles is that Taliban have defeated an empire. But they, they didn't really defeat an empire. The empire betrayed the people of Afghanistan and left, right? Taliban hid for 20 years in caves, making human beings their shields, brutalizing villages in Afghanistan. That's exactly what they did forcing the farmers to grow poppy crops. This is what the Taliban did to survive. They waited until the so-called invaders left, right? And then conquered their own country. That is a fact of history. Now, we could say that in a slow motion, maybe the Americans couldn't take it anymore and the Taliban defeated it. But the claim that Taliban somehow ousted America from the United States through a military offensive is ludicrous, right? Also, quite a few people are saying there is peace in Afghani cities. There are no terroristic acts happening since the Taliban came into power. And yeah, because they were the ones who were doing it. So since now they are in power, of course, the level of violence in the cities has decreased because those who were perpetuating that violence have now somehow conquered the country. On the other hand, I mean, where did the Americans go wrong? I think part of it is because, you know, they didn't consult any local experts, any people in the region. They had this idea of creating a democracy, which is a noble goal. And they tried to create a centralized state in Afghanistan, which is almost an impossibility in a region, in a country that is famous for autonomous regions, right? So part of the reason is that the Afghan army should have been organized on regional levels. There should have been a central command and regional commands, and they were there, but they were not affected. But part of the reason it failed was that not a lot of imagination and investment of the local people was was solicited or implemented, right? I mean, we will keep arguing about it probably, you know, for years to come. But that's what I see as a failure and the way they decided to leave. I think any departure of the international forces without first implementing a comprehensive peace plan in which every faction, every group, ethnicity, minorities were represented and without and having left a peacekeeping force. That would have been decided even before the U.S. presidents, both the previous and the current, decided to pull out. There should have been a force present other than the Afghan army to safeguard the integrity of the system in place. Now, a lot of people are also seeing it as a failure of democracy in Afghanistan, which in a way is blaming the victims, like people blame Afghans for that. But remember, I mean, democratic system take years upon years to develop. You have to develop the habits of democracy. You have to develop its institutions. The nascent signs of it were already there in Afghan cities. You're seeing them right now, young people raising the Afghan flag in opposition to the white flag of the Taliban. That is already teaching us 
that Afghans, who were actually an autonomous nation long before India and Pakistan became free nations, have developed an idea of a civic state. It needed time to develop further. That's how national identities are formed. That's how civic identities are formed. And I see a lot of hope in that. So overall, both India and Pakistan have their interests in Afghanistan. But they cannot countermand the interests of the Afghan people. So this is a moment for India to think, you know, critically about what they have done for Afghanistan and what they could do for Afghanistan without using Afghan land as a land to perform activities in Pakistan. Similarly, Pakistanis, intelligentsia, the government, the generals, also need to think not in terms of a triumphant proxy in the shape of Taliban, but what it does to Afghanistan. Because what happens to Afghan people through this regime that you are tacitly, of course, supporting will have a reflection in the Afghan people's minds about your country. And similarly, United States has a responsibility to people of Afghanistan, right? So there is a talk about accepting the Taliban regime and then working with them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really pragmatic. But here is what you are accepting then as the regional powers and international powers. You are accepting that a group of armed people, brutal in their operations, can literally conquer a country and be considered legitimate government by their neighbors and by the United States of America. If, that, if that's the circle you can square, <laughs> in your morality and in your imagination, all power to you. To me, it sounds kind of a tragic, pragmatic response to one of the gravest threats to Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan. So, you know, in conclusion, I'm, no, I'm a nobody, right? I have no power. I mean, no one actually listens to me. Why am I saying these things? Because as a human being, that's the least I can do, right? That's the least I can do to speak for those whose rights have been violated and whose rights will be violated by the Taliban. That's the least we all can do. And the least we can do in our lives is also not to side with the oppressors, not to side with powerful forces that humiliate people, that torture them that take away their freedom, right? And that is what I feel is my responsibility as a scholar, as a public intellectual, and as a human being. I hope you feel the same way too, and I hope you add your voice to all of these voices from all around the world, speaking with the people of Afghanistan against this tragedy against what has happened and hoping and praying that this dark night of oppression will end for the people of Afghanistan and that they will be able to decide their own national, collective and individual destinies. That's all. Thank you so much. Peace and love.